Okay, good morning. Am I hot? All right. There we go. Now I can hear me. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. We're going to keep talking about our vision and uh, getting diving into it a little bit deeper today. Damon shared our one year, kind of where we're targeting a year from now, and I wanted to bring back up our, this is kind of our five-year vision statement. I'm not going to read all this. Sir Lenny did a great job with it last week, and I'm not quite as dramatic as he is, so we'll just uh, move along here. But if we were to boil this down to two parts, it's what I have highlighted here. It's to promote healthy relationships in the church and our community by equipping and empowering every individual towards spiritual maturity. That's really what we're aiming for over the next five years. Now, you can boil this down quite simply to love God and love people, right? But that can seem a little generic to say that we're going to aim for the two greatest commandments because that's what we're always aiming for. I want you to know that as a leadership team, we definitely have some specific things in mind, specific ways that we want to help the church grow in these two particular areas, in our relationships with one another and in our relationship with God. And so what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is sharing kind of more in detail, diving into these different facets of the goal, and today specifically talking about how we want to develop and grow in our relationship with God through spiritual formation. And so in growing close to God, we're going to focus on spiritual formation. Now, spiritual formation has become a bit of a buzz phrase in our church and in our fellowship of churches. And you're, you're going to start hearing it more and more if you haven't already. Um, you know, I, I watch classes and stuff from other churches. Other churches are dropping this phrase left and right and talking about spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation. Now, why is this? Why has this become a buzzword? Well, one is we're, we're growing in our humility and our willingness to learn from outsiders. Okay, quite honestly, spiritual formation has been a, a theme that has been out there in, in the Christian domain for some time. And we as a fellowship are, are learning and growing and learning from other people. Now, also, I think another thing that's happening is we're just, we're, we are an older fellowship of churches. Now, in the grand scheme of things, we're still quite young. But in the room are many of you have been Christians now for 10, 20 years. You know, early on in, in our fellowship, when you met someone, if they'd been a Christian more than five years, it was like, wow, so amazing. You know, but now we've been at this for a while. And because of that, you know, you, you, when you've been a Christian for decades, you start to feel like, hey, what's next? You know, I, I've done this, I've done that, I've grown in these areas. What, what do I have to look forward to? And I think themes around spiritual formation are giving us new avenues to explore. They're kind of expanding on some concepts that we already know. And it offers fresh ways for us to mature in our relationship with Christ. But what is spiritual formation? Okay, people are dropping it left and right, but what, what in the world does it mean? What do we mean when we talk about spiritual formation? Well, it's not totally a new concept for our church. Okay? We do talk about spiritual formation. We don't necessarily, haven't always used that phrase. But oftentimes when we study the Bible with someone, we start in Mark chapter 1, 
in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When we sit down and study the Bible with someone who's wanting to come close to Jesus, this is one of the first passages that we share. And we talk about that when Jesus called people to follow him, he was calling them to a life of discipleship, a life of being a student of Jesus Christ, walking with him, learning how he would think, learning how he would do things, and implementing that in their own life. And we, talk, and we mentioned how Jesus promises to make them fishers of men. The goal of discipleship, as we understand it, is to become more like Jesus. And that is what we've always meant by following Jesus, is you're striving to become like Him. And that is really what spiritual formation is. Spiritual formation is becoming like Jesus. That's it. A lot of books written on it, a lot of books explaining spiritual formation, but when you, after you've read a whole bunch of them, you realize it really boils down to this is we are trying to become like Jesus Christ. And this has been a major focus in our church from the very beginning. From the beginning of, the you know, 30, 40 years ago, this has been emphasized in our fellowship. We don't just go to church. We want to be like Jesus. And we expect people to change their lives. And that's a good thing. And we have seen many lives changed. Many of us in the room, hopefully a lot of us in the room, have experienced that transformation of becoming like Jesus and want to do so more and more. So why is this different? Well, I would say that our ideas about formation are maturing, that we're developing, we're growing, and that's a good thing. You know, we expect individuals to grow, churches should grow and mature as well. And I think as we look back at our ideas about spiritual formation or becoming like Jesus, most of our emphasis has been on human effort, on what we can do in order to become like Christ. And I'm going to oversimplify our lives a little bit here, so bear with me. But we really kind of focus on read your Bible, pray, and change. Okay, stop sinning, start doing what's right. And maybe I should throw in there, go to church too. Okay, it's good to go to church. All right, so read your Bible, pray, go to church, and change. Stop sinning, start doing what's right. And these are kind of at the core of what we teach when we talk about becoming like Jesus. Read your Bible, pray, and change. So our emphasis has been very much on that kind of human effort side of things. You need to change to be more like Jesus. And we tend to read the Bible from this lens. We even teach people oftentimes to read the Bible. Read the Bible and see what is it you need to do differently. What is it you need to change in your life? We read passages like Galatians 5, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, love, and we say, how can you become more joyful? And how can you become more at peace? We look at John 15 where he talks about bearing much fruit. We say, you need, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you need to be bearing fruit. We, even the passage we just read in Mark 1, we often talk about 
Disciples make disciples. And yet, that's not really what any of those passages say. They talk more about something happening to us than they do to us doing something. But we tend towards human effort. Now, we're not alone in this, okay? And, and folks, it's human tendency to take ownership and say, I'm going to do this. So I'm not, I'm not down on our past. There's been some real strength to that. In fact, there is a place for human effort. It's not all bad. Second Peter chapter one calls us to make every effort to add to our goodness, faith, knowledge, righteousness, all these things. You know, there's a whole lot of passages in the Bible that tell you to stop sinning and start doing what's right. And so there is a human element to becoming like Christ, making decisions. The very first disciples, they had to choose to follow Jesus. There's a human decision involved, and that is very much part of the process of becoming like Christ. But when it comes to the idea of spiritual formation, we tend to focus on the formation part. We're all about the change, not so much about the spiritual. Now that's, that's an oversimplification. Some of us are much more spiritual in mind than others, okay? But in general, this would probably describe us that we're more about the formation, not so much about the spiritual. When you become a Christian, God's Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 18, it says, All of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, there's a lot going on in this verse, and it, there's a whole lot of stuff preceding this. But what we'll glean from this passage is it talks about that we who are in the Lord are being transformed, that something is acting upon us. You know, this phrase here, it's passive. It's not you are transforming yourself. You are being transformed by what? From the Holy Spirit, from the Lord, the Spirit. And so the Spirit is doing the work to transform us into something else, to transform us into the image of Christ. Okay, Going back to that whole uh, God created us in His image in Genesis 1, now the Holy Spirit is working in us to restore that original image and bring us to be the image of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is actively working. And I'm thankful that He doesn't really wait for me to understand what he, that He's working. You know, for many years, I had no concept of the Holy Spirit, and yet He was still transforming me. So, amen, we can be idiots, and God still loves us and is working on us. Amen? But we are being changed by the Spirit to become like Jesus. Going to a passage I mentioned earlier in Galatians 5 and verse 22. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Here it talks about the fruit of the Spirit are all these wonderful things. And I've heard taught, and I've probably taught, 
messages where we say, okay, you need to grow in all these areas. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is not the fruit of your effort. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. He produces these things. This is, if the Spirit is in your life, you're going to grow in these areas. You almost can't help yourself. Now it goes on to say we do need to be guided by Him. And so there is a choice. The Spirit's not just going to take over and force you to be joyful. I kind of wish He would do that from time to time. But you do have to allow yourself to be guided by the Spirit, but He's the one bringing about transformation. So He is doing the work. Now, does that absolve us of all human effort? No. Going a little further in Genesis 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. There are steps we can take to place ourselves in a space for the Spirit to work. There are ways we can open up our lives to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. There are ways we can sow to please the Spirit. Okay, And and so that's Paul's call. His call is not to produce the fruits, but it's to sow to please the Spirit. You know, if you were thinking about a grand tree producing this abundant fruit, that there are things, you know, you can't make that tree grow. You can't make it produce fruit. But there are some things you can do to help it along. Right, And so there are things that we can do to kind of put ourselves in a space where the Spirit can easily transform our lives. Now, so when we talk about spiritual formation, what we're talking about is trying to embrace both of these dynamics. The Spirit being in our lives to transform our lives and us doing what we can to kind of make ourselves available to Him to follow his guidance, to allow him to work on our heart. And there are ways that we can kind of take steps to step away from this world and put ourselves in the Spirit's hand so that he can transform us. And I love John's gospel for one of the many themes that are there. And that John presents a way that we can we can take this idea of, you know, some of you right now, I can see it in your eyes. You're like, oh my gosh, what is he talking about? I'm getting lost in all this formation spirit stuff. John gives us a very simple concept that runs throughout his Gospels that we can apply to our lives in embracing the idea of spiritual formation and setting ourselves up to be transformed by the Spirit. See, in Mark, when Mark talks about following Jesus, he sets it up in a certain way. These men follow Jesus, and in the book of Mark, they follow him really where you do not want to go. Jesus leads them in Mark to some very uncomfortable places. Similar things happen in John, but John starts out with the call to discipleship with a little different touch. And in John 1 and verse 35, the next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. 
They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So John introduced... This is, this is John's first call to discipleship, this little interaction here. It's very different. A few verses later, he will throw out the call to follow me. And yet here, John's call is a little bit different. See, the first followers of Jesus come to him, and they say, where are you staying? And then they go and they stay with him, and they remain with him. The words that are translated staying and remain, it's the same word in the Greek. And so I'm going to swap these out for abide. I like the term abide because we don't use it very often, so it kind of gets your attention. And in NRSV, it'll use abide in place of this Greek term as well. But John, right in the beginning call of Jesus, he has these guys coming to Jesus say, Jesus, where are you abiding? Jesus tells them, hey, come and see. Now, what John does in his gospel in several ways is he takes very ordinary, plain, mundane concepts, and you read this and you think, this doesn't, there's nothing spiritual about this. They came and asked him what house he was in, and they went and stayed at that house. But John goes through his gospel and he takes these things that seem mundane and he, he elevates them to a spiritual level. And we'll see that in just a minute. Here, I believe he's, he is laying the groundwork for what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to come and abide with Jesus. That's what these guys do. They come and they just, they hang with Jesus and they're going to stick with him and they're going to follow him. In John's gospel, abiding means to be in a mutual relationship with Jesus. It means persevering and enduring with Jesus. I'm going to back up here a little bit. It means remaining in the light, staying in continued communion with Christ, obeying Jesus by loving people. Those are all the things that get tied to abiding in John's gospel. In John 15, in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We often read this passage and we focus on bearing fruit. But the call is not to bear fruit. The call is to abide. There's no command in there to bear fruit. There's only two uh, imperatives in the whole 
set of verses here. One is to abide, which is repeated over and over again, and one is to ask. But the call is not to bear fruit. Bearing fruit is the outcome of abiding. The term abide is used ten times in these verses. John is clearly trying to communicate something here. When you use the same word over and over again in every sentence, you're trying to get people's attention. Imagine what abiding looked like for the earliest followers of Jesus. Imagine what they saw as they abided with Jesus physically. They saw Jesus retreat to solitary places to be alone with God. And at times he took them with him. They saw him go and worship with the people of God at the synagogue every week. They sang songs with him to the Almighty God above. They were with Jesus when he served the community and when he took care of people's needs. They watched and listened to Jesus pray. They heard his love for the word of God. They listened and participated in proclaiming the gospel to other people. They got to rest with him. They got to go on retreats with Jesus to get away. They celebrated things with Jesus. This is what it was like for them to abide. And if we abide with Jesus today, we can expect the same thing. We can be a part of participating in these things with Jesus. As we seek to grow in this concept of spiritual formation, we're going to be talking about various spiritual disciplines. Those are the terms you'll hear go together. Spiritual, any book on spiritual formation going to mention spiritual disciplines, vice versa. And when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, we can get into all these things that we need to do, but it's really all about this. It's just ways to abide with Christ. Imagine hanging out with Jesus in prayer, meditation, personal Bible study, fasting. These are just ways to hang out with Jesus. These are just ways to spend time with Him. And what's really becoming popular in our fellowship is are these kind of individualistic concepts of spending time with Christ and expanding our ways of having the quiet times. You know, going beyond reading and praying to solitude and and meditation and other ways to engage with God. And yet spiritual discipline should also include abiding with Jesus when he gets into the community, when he's worshiping with the collective people of God, when he's serving the needs of the poor, when he's sharing God's word with other people. This is also what happens when you abide. When you hang out with Jesus, you're doing these things too. All of these are spiritual disciplines and ways that we engage with Jesus. I'll I'll just take one, serving the poor. You know, I've had times in my life when I was doing a whole lot serving the poor. 
And then I've had times in my life where I wasn't doing hardly anything at all serving the poor. And, you know, some of you have a heart for this that it just drives you all the time. But probably more of you fall into maybe my category where when the church plans something, you go and do it. But it's not a normal part of your routine. Now, I can say that from the times that I was doing this more consistently, that it was changing me. I was becoming a different person. And there were many times out on the street helping the poor that I felt like I was more closer to Jesus in that moment than any quiet time that I went and had with God. Because I was abiding with Jesus. Now, that's not to lift me up because I haven't been consistent in doing those things. But it's just a, an example of what these things can be in our life. You know, when you come into worship, are you coming to abide with Jesus? Are you coming to sing songs and praise Jesus together? Are we sharing our faith with others with Jesus? This is all part of abiding with Him. These are all spiritual disciplines, not just the ones that are more private. And all of these things help us grow closer to being more like Jesus. Are you hanging with Jesus? You say, well, John, a lot of this starts to sound like human effort, all these things I need to do. And it can fall into that. You can take ways of abiding with Jesus and make them a list of things you need to do. That's not what we're going for here. We're going with just hanging with Jesus. You know, if you walk out of here and you can't, you, you got lost in all the jargon, you can hold on to just hang with Jesus. Just go abide with Jesus this week. Go hang out with him. Look at what he says is going to happen if you do. You're going to bear much fruit. Not because you're going to bear the fruit, but just by hanging with him, you're going to bear much fruit. You'll be able to ask and it'll be done for you. We'd all like to tap into that one a little bit too much, maybe. All right? The Father is glorified in you. You show yourself to be a disciple of Jesus. Probably specifically through your love for one another, as he mentions earlier in the same sermon. Your joy will be complete. I just take that one. Let that be me filled with the joy of Jesus, and you're going to love one another. This is what it looks like. This is the outcome of abiding. This is not the things you need to go and try and achieve. This is if you hang out with Jesus and you allow the Spirit to transform your life, this will be the outcome. This is what the Bible promises us. If we expanded this to look at all of John 13 through 17, because it's all one discourse, Jesus, in this, he says that those who are in him will receive peace, confidence, clarity, strength, union, and love. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah, I'll take some of that. It also makes clear in John 13 through 17 that the Spirit is going to be doing the work. Because in this, Jesus tells him, I'm going to go away, but don't worry. I'm going to send Him, the Spirit, to be with you. He's going to make these things happen. So this is not about our effort. This is about just abiding in Christ. Our vision for the Southwest, is, to, or part of that vision, is to equip and empower, empower every individual towards spiritual maturity. 
That's the goal of the church, Ephesians 4. We're going to pursue that through spiritual formation. So we're going to be talking about this more and more in the months and years ahead and exploring different ways that we can abide with Christ. But the goal is to become like Jesus. That's all this is. Is letting the Holy Spirit transform us into becoming like Christ. How are we going to do that? We're going to abide. We're going to just hang out with Jesus. We're going to spend time with Him. We're going to enjoy that. We're going to do the things that we see Him doing in our day-to-day lives. Let's seek to just stay with Him. Stay with Him all the time. Now, in just a minute, I'll lead us in a prayer, and we're going to take communion together. And we're going to take the bread, we're going to take the, the juice that represents His body and blood sacrificed on the cross. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of Him. And I want to give you a kind of a something to focus on during this time. I want you to think about what it would be like to just go with Jesus this week. I want you to imagine what it would be like if you were abiding with Jesus this week. Now, literally. I want you, as we're taking communion, I want you to think about what it would be like to have Jesus physically, literally with you this week. He's going home with you this afternoon, getting up with you in the morning. He's going to be with you during your morning routine. You head off to work. He's going to work. He's going to stay with you at work all week, all day. When you come back home, he's going to be with you there too in the evening. Now, some of you are already reacting. He... I've, got, I've got to break it to you, Grace, now. You're a disciple of Jesus with the Holy Spirit living in you. I'm picking on grace, but he's already there. Okay, it's just that we're not always in touch with him being there. And what I love about spiritual disciplines, some of the things we'll talk about in the months ahead, is they help me to know he's always there. It helps me to to always feel like he's right there. And as I've grown in various things that I've worked on or in my practice, I should say, it's helped me to just know he's always there. How would your week be different in that moment of temptation if you knew that Jesus was right there? Truthfully, it'd be a whole lot easier. It wouldn't be such a struggle. You know, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'd feel guilty because I'd want to do it. No, you really wouldn't want to do it if you knew the Son of God was right there with you. You know, where would you go differently this week if you were abiding with Jesus? Where would He go that you're not even planning to go? What kind of stuff would He get you into that you don't even, you haven't even thought about it? Because if you're hanging with him, he goes places sometimes where you're just not planning to go. So as we take communion, I want you to meditate on that. Imagine what would it be like this week 
If Jesus was physically with you, if you were just, you were abiding with Jesus this week, you're just hanging out with him. So as we take communion, we'll take time to meditate on this thought. Let's pray. God, you are an amazing God. Father, uh, you're so loving. You're so gracious. Uh, Father, I love that we can come in here today. We could talk about ways that we've interpreted your instructions and applied them in our life and then seeing ways that we can grow and we can mature. And you're okay with all that. Uh, you kind of expect it. We, we kind of think it's, you know, revolutionary or something different or something was wrong with us in the past, but you know that we need to mature. You know that we need to grow. I thank you for providing new avenues for us to explore and get to know you. And Father, I'm immensely grateful for Jesus and his death on the cross and his willingness to sacrifice himself and more so to be, to be resurrected by you through his Holy Spirit so that he could bring to us a new life. And so that, Father, we don't miss out on abiding. For he was here physically 2,000 years ago, and yet now through his spirit we can still abide with him now because of his resurrection. Father, as we consider and contemplate and think about Jesus, as we take this, this bread and this juice, it's such a, a simple you know, remembrance tool, if you will, for remembering your son. Father, help us to meditate and contemplate what our lives would be like this week if we were just hanging out with Jesus. We're just abiding with him. We're just staying with him. How would we be transformed? By being in the presence of God. Because by your grace, Father, we who are in, we who are believers in Christ really do walk with Jesus. We just need you to open our eyes to see it more and more. Father, thank you for your love and mercy for us. In Jesus' name, amen.